Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, as this plays, I'm going to be actually... At a happy hour, uh, this play is a week. I'm recording a week in advance. I'll be with my uh, uh, PJ Wheelhands in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and I'm going to be with two of my friends. And the one guy I've known, I've known since first grade. Now I'm going to be 50. He just turned 49, so that means I've known him for about 42 years. And it's unbelievable that you actually you stay friends with someone that long. And what cracks me up is out here in LA, half my friends aren't even 42. They're like 25 or 30. I'm thinking I've known this guy longer than them. And the other guy, well, that's Marcus Zito. The other guy, Mike. Kalino was my old roommate, and it's so funny. That's why I'm with the lovely Joanne, because his wife knew my girlfriend. And it's just amazing that the time you go through with these guys. I mean, me and Mike back in the late 80s were roommates. And at the time, we were both dating our first wives. <laughs> so it's just weird when you sit there and go, man, we were like... Why don't, first of all, why would we say something to each other that you know our wives were crazy, but we couldn't. But it's just weird. But anyway, that's enough about me. I have a good guest on today. She uh, sent me a... Uh, message on Facebook and I was like cool you know and she hosts a very popular show uh, the story worthy podcast and she's um, we're going to find a very interesting story she's a uh, Pittsburgh person she's probably a Steelers fan it's uh, Christine Blackburn how you doing Christine oh thanks so much for having me on Steve I'm really thrilled to be here now you grew up Outside Pittsburgh. Yeah, in a, you know, I, I thought it was the suburbs, but as I look back, I think it was more of a rural setting. You know what I mean? Like just neighborhoods, not a lot of people, n- not a lot of, um, not a lot of stores. It was rural. See, that's weird. It's also, you know what's weird about Pittsburgh is I always get people who don't, and it's so funny how people don't know geography. People just don't like, because I grew up near Philadelphia in New Jersey. Right. I'm the other side of the state. Yeah. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, but we're right across the bridge. That's right. But people are like, oh, so you must hate the Steelers. And I'm like, why? And they go, well, and it's like some people that they don't know geography that, that it's 360 miles or 250 miles to Pittsburgh. It's pretty far. But it's so funny that people sit there and think, because we're both in Pennsylvania, right. we're supposed to be rivals, but it's like, no, Pennsylvania's a big state. You're more rivals right. with Ohio, because Ohio's closer right. to Right, Cleveland, but even then, it was always more of a, like a friendly rivalry, because you'd want them to do well to keep you on, you know, afloat as well. You know what I mean? Like, like I remember when the Cleveland Browns left Cleveland, they moved to Baltimore, The or not the, no, the Ravens, right? Or they became the Ravens. They became, right. the, the Cleveland Browns became the Baltimore Ravens, and even the Steeler fans really mourned that, because it was like our rivalry, you know, and it could have happened to us. That right. was, that was the scary thing so all those cities at about the same population everybody's kind of in the same situation blue collar towns pretty much um so they're kind of there's similarities there's more similarities than differences right now the thing is with your family you had six kids i'm the youngest of six uh, see I'm, I'm the baby of three so we uh, and plus with six you must have really had your way every every like i noticed like my brother would break a rule and so then i would get away with that you know it's always like a triple oh, down i'd oh be like well gosh, tommy did that for you for being the youngest it must have been you must have been like uh, just running okay, rampant I, I can sum that up in, in like a three sentence story uh, when I wa- when my sister was 17, she had the lead in the high school play Our Town, and my father wouldn't let her go to the cast party on Saturday night. Okay, it's more than three sentences; it's three paragraphs. Right. And uh, and anyway, she was not allowed, and she was the star of the play, and she couldn't go to the cast party. That's how strict my parents were. When I was 17 years old, I crossed the country in a van with Bobby Pfeiffer with a mattress in the back. Do you See, know what that, I mean? That's like said, we get the rules broken for us. It just changed. Now, when you were a kid, did you ever think you'd end up being in, in acting and radio? Were you were you interested in it? Or, I mean, because, you know, I read your I read the bio and you know, the Peace Corps and stuff like that. But before yeah. that, did you ever think you would 
pursue this career when you were younger or did no, you? No, I always wanted to. Like automatically, I've always, I think being part of it is being the youngest of six because truly I, I've never was, I mean, I did like the rules. It wasn't so much that the rules were broken for me. They just weren't there. You know what I mean? I was more ignored. You know, I just wasn't even, I was like a, so my parents, I wasn't even, there, for instance, here's another quick story. There's only about three or four pictures of me under the age of 10. Really? Yes. And I always kind of rib my mother about this. Even to this day, I'll tease her, you know, about how there's no proof, you know, that I was a child. And so one time after I first moved to Los Angeles in, in 1997, my mother, she always kind of felt bad about that. And she sent me a picture of a little girl, a blonde girl on a tricycle. And on the back was a pe piece of masking tape. And on the masking tape, it said, Christine, 1969. Well, I peeled back that masking tape and it said... Lisa, 1962. That's, funny. That's so funny. And what's so frightening about that is the, not the fact that my mother wanted me to think that there was a picture of me. The fact that she didn't think I'd take that masking tape off. That's funny. You know, it's so funny. Like that's like with the kids. Like I'm being the youngest. Is uh, I remember. I guess I, I guess they take your feet print or something when you're a baby. The feet, yeah. Yeah, but they didn't take mine. So for years, my brother and sister would tell me I was adopted. <laughs> and when you're little, you cry. And the funny thing is, I mean, I look. My face looks just like my mom. I posted a picture of my mom on Facebook. Oh, that's and they're awesome. like, we can't tell which one's your mom. And she sees the same crooked smile. Oh, and a that's nice so way. sweet. But then my dad, we all have the Cooper nose. People, if you don't have a little bump on my nose, and we all, you know, my father passed away recently, and I was sitting there going, God, he was 88. And the thing is, he had more hair than me, which always Isn't pissed me off. Isn't that funny? But 88, I, that's yeah. something else, huh? But the weird thing is, and this is just off the subject, the way he died was very weird because he had beaten, he had five mini strokes at one time. Wait, say that again? He had five mini strokes. Five at one time. mini strokes, is that in one period? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's some, like, they hit him, they're small, but, and then he had colon cancer, he beat, then he had quadruple bypass, but he died by falling, like, he, over the years he had them, right. but he died by falling and hitting his head. Isn't that interesting? This is just amazing. And, and where was the fall? In his home? In his home, yeah, because my, my parents were moved to Delaware, and, uh, yeah, it's just weird. It's like, it's because, I guess, because all the other functions, his body couldn't subside you know but what was the circumstance in the fall he got up and he's my dad's very stubborn you know old school you know pro, old school pro, uh, protestant from the east coast very very stubborn he should have should have had a cane but um, you know so he slipped and fell he slipped just walking going he to the bathroom isn't in the middle that, of the night and your mom was there yeah Oh, I'm so sorry. I know, but it's just, I mean, it's just crazy how, you know, you sit there and how people actually... You can, yeah, you can withstand so much. And then, well, sure, across the road, get hit by a car. I mean, anything, right? Well, you overcame cancer. I, yeah, I did. I did. I was very fortunate. I had what they call stage one cancer. So it was, uh, you know, I was a tumor in my kidney. Now, how did you find... Was there a certain... Um, symptoms that brought up to that or were you feeling fine and just one day you no, got a I pain? Was, I was truly feeling fine and I had gone to the Peace Corps and I was in the Peace Corps when I got sick and when I got sick it, it all happened in one night. It was the day after Christmas and um, I, I got really feverish, incredibly like like delirious really did you think maybe you had malaria or something no, I, I had mean, no just, idea yeah I did. I first, of course I thought it was something small I didn't think but right. I just knew something was extremely wrong and I was living with this family it was very interesting because I should have been alone in my I'd been in the Peace Corps for a couple of months training was over and I was getting placed in my village where I would be for the next two years the night before I was supposed to move into the house that I'm going to be living in for the next two years it burnt down which That's is very strange. So they put me in with this family to stay, like a, a homestay family. 
So it was at that house where I got sick. And thank goodness somebody was there with me because she, well, the woman came into my room and she doesn't speak any English and she, and I was just delirious, sweating hot. And she came into my room and she chanted over me and said, de vula de ulo, de vula de ulo, meaning, oh, and she would say, a Palangias, uh, the, the Palangias Puke, the, the, the white person is sick. What Palangias language? Puke. What Tongan. Language? Okay. Tongan. I was in the kingdom of Tonga in, okay. the, in the South Pacific, sorry. So she was saying, the devil's in your stomach, the white person's sick. Uh, so <laughs> the next day, um, they took she they took me to the Peace Corps nurse or somebody who was responsible for the volunteers because I was in the capital, luckily. And um, anyway, they took me to the hospital there in the country. There's only one hospital, two doctors in the country, and an ophthalmologist. Luckily, it wasn't an eye problem because he was vacationing in Fiji. <laughs> but there were two doctors, and one of them uh, came into my room. He had on a skirt. They wear skirts in Tonga. The men they they call it uh, tuvulus. They're not. There's no pants in the kingdom. And don't they? Is Tonga? Is that where they drink the kava? Kava. That's exactly okay. right. Kava. Which Only makes men, your tongue numb. Exactly. It's like a cocaine feeling yeah. in your mouth. My buddy's. A, it's so funny. My buddy's a cop, and we were up this place, and he was in Tonga years ago, and I'm sitting around with all these cops, and uh, we're drinking the, the kava. Kava ball, right. And I'm going, I wanted to go, man, this is like cocaine. But I'm like, I can't say it in front of cops. You know, they sit there. <laughs> you could so. I know, I'm joking. You could. They sit in those circles, kava circles. Men only drink the kava. It's very, um, you know, it's a very, there's a big divide between men and women in that, in that country. And uh, only men can drink the kava. And they sit in a circle. And they'll sit there for six to eight hours drinking it. And basically, it is the root of the, of the, of the, I'm going to say the wrong thing, so I don't want to mess up uh, the, uh, the root of one of the trees. I can't think of which tree it is now. The Akava uh, tree. No. No, it's not the Good one, Steve. Anyway, the point the, the point is they, they, they grind it to a powder with rocks in the village, and they add it to water, just water from the rain barrels, which, you know, they pick out the mosquito larva. I mean, it's just, and then they mix it. And so it's like muddy water. It's right. as if a child is in a sandbox with a pail, some sand and water, and they're drinking it. It's crazy. It's super so, crazy. All the sentiment falls to the bottom. It's nuts. So, but so, wait, so we were. I just see. I always did. I always. No, no, no. no. Okay. So, what so we talking about? Hospital, when you're, when just the fact that I'm in the hospital in Tonga, and they're. Uh, so was the you, doctor, were you scared? Because well, it, it's, yeah, it's it was, not a normal hospital. Uh, no, it's not a normal hospital. It's a, just like a wooden. It reminded me of like a motel in that there was just like different rooms off a little breezeway, and uh, the doctor came in and he. I, I lay. I, he asked me some questions, uh, and then he laid me down on the, you know, on a on a gurney. He very carefully lifted up my shirt a little bit just to see my stomach, because he's going to press on my stomach because the pain is all in my back. Okay. It's in my lower back. Okay. It, it ended up being my kidneys, so it's all lower back and my stomach. It's abdomen, and he sees my stomach and he says, oh, "What is it?" And I go, "What? What? What is it?" And I said, "Those are freckles on my stomach." And he said, does this disease run in your family? So I thought, you know, maybe I shouldn't be at this hospital. Right. So he's pressing on my stomach and he says, I take out your appendix tomorrow. And I'm thinking, well, you don't have water, so that won't be happening. Right. Calls the other doctor in. Uh, both doctors were there. And um, anyway, they just, they, they, they. They knew something was wrong. They could feel a mass, uh, but there was no electricity at the time. 
in the hospital so they couldn't take they had like a they had a machine that the Japanese had donated like a sonogram machine but they they there was the electricity was down so they so, couldn't do God. images and anyway um the peace I was so sick so they were giving me Motrin and Tylenol, I guess, and getting the fever down. But within like four days, they flew me to Hawaii because that was the closest state. And then there, very quickly, they did a CAT scan and it was like boom, boom, boom. It's so weird when it happens because I went through a congest- I have congestive heart failure. Mm-hmm. And I went through that about two years ago, a year ago. And the doctor, I went to a doctor first because I just felt awful. And he kept saying it was a respiratory infection. So he, I took the medicine, and I wasn't getting better. And I would go back, and I wasn't getting better. And he's giving me vitamin B12 shots, which, first of all, when you have something in their heart, you shouldn't be doing that. He had just thought it was a respiratory infection. I couldn't what even do my What kind of doctor was this? I went to a, uh, a uh, just a... Primary care physician? Or? Yeah, like one of the, yeah, prime, just one of these uh, urgent care places right urgent down the street care. here. Urgent care, okay. And the guy kept misdiagnosing me. So I finally went for a physical. That's a good idea. And to the doctor's office, he said, well, we have to take blood work here. I said, well, you know, I... My insurance covers it, so I go in, and the guy's an idiot. He forgets, like, he doesn't take a chest x-ray. That's what's bothering me. So finally, it's you, they got misdiagnosed me. Finally, that, that Sunday, it was after, like, two weeks, I couldn't move. I just went to the hospital, and they, I was in up being there for four days. Oh, my goodness. But because it's, you know, I, I had a heart problem. The guy said, you have a heart attack. So now so. you have a cardiologist in your life. Yeah. Do you like your cardiologist? It's awesome. I have always heard that my father has uh, heart problems, and I've always heard people with heart problems love their cardiologist because they truly feel that the guy could be holding their heart in his hands. It's true. Well, my, my cardiologist who's been on my show, Dr. Dan okay. Eisenberg, he, no uh, he's just- uh, Eisenberg? Eisenberg. Oh, okay. not Heisenberg. I, I, just, Sorry. I just got caught up on that. Breaking in bad. In fact, when, oh, when, this, airs, when this airs, the this finale will be-, will be over. It will be over. Oh, my gosh. But see, what happened with me is, well, with Breaking Bad, we'll get into that for a second. But my, my cardiologist is great because I had him. He goes, you, your heart, you, you had heart damage. I think I may have had a, like a mild heart attack, but then I got on a plane, flew, and didn't go to the doctor for three weeks. Oh. But when I went, but he said now, he goes, because I eat healthy now. I'm writing a cookbook about oh, eating with low sodium. Oh, how exciting. And he's like, you know, you're... He likes me because I'm one of the people that listens to him. You know, it's so interesting because now that you've addressed that you have a heart problem, you should be able to manage it for your life. You have to. It's like it's like people... So know, that's good, I, right? I, oh, yeah. I used to smoke cigarettes. Oh, no kidding. I went, The day I walked out of the hospital, never again. It was a year yeah. and a half ago. I haven't even touched one. A year and a half ago? Yeah. So that was the impetus? Yeah. Caffeine? No, I don't know. It was just... I, I used to work in restaurants. It's just I ate crappily and just right. all this stuff. But, but did I, you smoke a lot? No. I mean, it, times I did. Times I didn't. I'd quit. I was one of those people that could quit. Oh, but, so that but, was good. But what's amazing, I just stopped. That's why when people say they can't quit, I go, yeah, you know what? And they're like, well, you know, this was going to kill me. I go, well, yeah, it could. So yeah, it's sure. just weird. So, so you, when you got diagnosed with the cancer, we're going to go back Oh, to yeah. It. So then I was in Hawaii and they told me, were you know, you look, you got this guy looks, yeah, because I'm by myself. And the doctor, because I thought. I'm and you like, were young. It's not like. It's no, not, I, well, well, I was 31. Steve. That's young, though. Listen, people that go into the Peace Corps are either under 23, like they're just out of college, or they're like over 50 like the later part of their life. Nobody was going in at 31 years old because usually those people have, you know, lives. Why did you go into families. the Peace Corps? Because I was afraid to come to L.A. Wait, okay. And okay. rightly so. But, but let's finish the cancer so. story and then we're going to find out. Oh, it's so find this crazy, but right? So, so, you, so you have cancer, you're diagnosed. Now, you, it's like anything, so your that, whole life must change. Well, it sort of did because it was such a, it was just so out of the blue. You know, to get into the Peace Corps, they have this really rigorous, uh, it's a huge uh, process, application process that you just have to go through a lot of stuff, including, including a really, uh, you know, a very 
intense physical exam that even, you know, in some countries that if you're going to, they even have you get your wisdom teeth out. I mean, they're, you know, they're making sure you're okay because you're going to leave for two years in the country, you know. So I had just had six months uh, six previous six months previously a, a full physical exam and was just fine and I, there's no cancer in my family there's some but not this particular cancer I had is extremely rare extremely rare so it was just an unheard of unprecedented strange thing to happen I remember the doctor looked down at me and he he goes uh, you know I'm like I gotta go you know let's go because I gotta get out to Honolulu I'm, I'm there I'm thinking I'm gonna be in Hawaii like two days I'm gonna get all this candy and guitar strings and my, my friends have made me lists of stuff they want the other Peace Corps volunteers I'm gonna take my friends back their stuff I'm gonna you know pick up this prescription of whatever they need me to go on and I'm out of here right and he look, this doctor looks down at me and he goes you know you are a very sick girl and I looked at him like what What are you, what are you talking like, I, I so didn't register to me. Like, I just couldn't, you know, he's like, you have a mass in your right, in your right kidney. And I, I remember thinking like, I, I don't even know what a mass, I don't even, I, like, I don't even know what that means. Right. It's, it's so funny. That's like me when they said, you know, when they said I had to go meds, it came to the heard to me I'm, <laughs> is I'm that like, what they said it like that no 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 they were nice but I, when it went in my mind when he goes you know you he said you ever have a heart attack I was like not that I know I mean I know he goes well you're damaged you have to put you in this medicine and that's when it affects you like before I was like oh it's no big thing I'm yeah. sitting here and I'm in the hospital and I'm just you know I'm not worried about it. I'm like can I leave you know I'm just like wanting to go and watch the Kings game they're going to Stanley sure. Cup and they're like well you can we're, we don't think you should and I'm like well what are you guys I'm just laying here but when he said the meds that's when it hits you and you go wow, this is something serious. Well, and also just getting older is really strange, oh, you know, because you think like, well, you know, I have a daughter who's six and I think she and her little friends, you know, in first grade, they look up at me, you know, hey lady, like I, and I am old, you know, I'm 47. I mean, not old, but I mean, I'm definitely, I'm not in my 20s. I'm not in my 30s. I'm heading out of my 40s. So I'm just saying, like, if I'm not older now, when am I old? Well, see, that's... But and, my, and if I'm lucky, I'm middle-aged, because frankly, I don't think I'm going to live to 94. Well, that, I can't really do math, but yeah, I that, think be, that's... Well, you know, it's so weird with the ages. Like, my girlfriend just turned 47. I'll be 50 in uh, October. That's I'd, a nice age difference. That's sweet. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't feel 50. I don't think I really look 50. No. I don't, you know, I mean, I'm bald, but that's, you know... Anybody, yeah, that's but, very hip, though, now. But, uh, my, yeah, it's sexy. I, I'm... Believe me, I used to have the long hair. I was like Parker Stevenson back in the day. Parker, <laughs> is that right? And I had that same hairdo. Sweet, but uh, no, but it's weird uh, with the age though. It's like it's. I think it's how we live. I mean, I know people who are thirty-five who seem like they're eighty. You know, yes, I, I, I understand. Yeah, I think it's like with you. You know, you're in entertainment. Anyone who's entertainment usually seems stays young. Well, and I also I have a lot of um, friends in their seventies and even eighties that I play tennis with. So okay. I definitely have a, ri- a wide range of friends. Older people to me tend to be a little. Uh, more humorous uh, also uh, because I think they've lived longer so they're funnier I mean and older people seem to be funnier and I enjoy that that's good do you think so uh, I mean I don't really hang out with older people I, it's in all honesty I mean I'm I think I'm the people the oldest people I hang out with are probably 55 but then there's oh, a, there, right? but then there's comics I know who I forget that they're almost 60 and mm-hmm. I know I've known them and but I guess it's just when you because you're all getting older, so you yeah, don't even think exactly. about it. exactly. And when, like when I did when I started doing comedy, you know, you met guys who were older, but you were comrade. I mean, you were like it was a camaraderie. So you, sure. no one ever feels that 
It's your peer. You never thought they were older. It's like right. it's your peer, exactly. Right. And you're only as good as your last uh, your last joke. Exactly. Or so, as your guest. Exactly. I'm, as, I'm, I'm only as hip as my guest. So, uh, <laughs> I was going to say you're in bad luck today because I'm not hip at all. You know what? I'm not hip, really. That That's one thing. I don't have that going on. No, but you have, you have good stories. Yeah, I do have those. And that's an interesting thing because I always wanted to come to L.A. to be an actress. That was well, okay. always like my thing. But I'm just saying like as a child, it was always I want to be an actress, want right. to be an actress. And it's not that I was denied doing that it was just in my parents world of my, my family's world it that it wasn't in the vernacular nobody ever talked about oh well sure entertainment there's an option <laughs> you know what I mean like my father worked in steel mills right do you know what I mean like you don't that's not a choice you don't even so it's not not on anybody's radar there's only three stations there's only 15 people working I right. mean it's not even you know so it, it wasn't that I wasn't nourished in that way but Steve I really wasn't nourished in that way but did, did you <laughs> so, so I thought it was actress is what I thought I wanted to be turns out not really an actress I'm more interested in being um, well no actress I, I still love to act but I mean it turned out for me that my life got so weird and complicated and took all these turns and twists that it ends up I ended up having more stories than acting ability and when I find myself at auditions or in acting class and I see the talent in this town of actresses I am so effing blown away and I feel I still feel I can't compete with that See, what I can not so much compete but what I where I can be in the competition is with that da, 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 stories but see, because I have stories therefore I created story worthy inspired by the moth okay but now but I want to get back though to the Steve, cancer this is only an hour show man I know, you know but I want to find out two no, parts, want, we could do that but I got to move my car I want to find out I want to find out why you joined the Peace Corps because I had to get out of Pittsburgh but what were you doing before you joined the Peace Corps I was a flight Corps? attendant for seven years okay now who'd you fly for US Airways okay let me tell you something about US Air it used to be called US Air at that they, time uh, I, was with them. I flew on them first okay. class because mm -hmm. I had points from United and it was awful. Is that and right? I fly Virgin. Virgin's great. I've, mm. I've flown Virgin. You want me to make Virgin. a call or what can I do? No, I'm just saying, but no, but you, the flight attendants have changed. I mean, you're an attractive woman. Now they're all like, they're all like, I'm not even, they're like, they're Listen, just, they're mean and they're so, fat and oh, they're not wow, good looking. Ouch. And it's true. I mean, that's not true. No, I don't no, think that's true. Okay. But back in the day. Back in the day. Like, you know, you had, we're around you the same age. Be no, well, we're around the same age. If. If you if you said back around if you were twenty five you right. said I'm dating a flight attendant right. that was something impressive oh wow that's cool you're dating now it's right. like what's wrong with you you're dating a flight attendant right I mean, now the it's whole a more blue collar changed. job which is what it is a blue collar job when I was a flight attendant I kid you not I kid you not one of the big parts of training we all lived in the same hotel for six weeks at the Royce Hotel in um, in Pittsburgh right outside of Pittsburgh in a town called um, Coriopolis no no that's not it Butler. No, no. I was born in Butler. I did comedy in Butler years ago. I was born in Butler. Thank you. Uh, anyway, somewhere out by the airport at the time. And we all stayed in this hotel. And every week, we had a weigh-in. And you would have to line up at the gymnasium and you get on the scale. And if you don't make your weight, they put you in a van, take you back to the airport, and fly you back to wherever you came from because you're out. That's... And at that time, there was I started training with... I think it was like 180 and we graduated with like 120 so they kicked out like 30 percent but I could be and just exactly because my height has not changed right I'm 5'4 I was 5'4 at 5'4 my max weight okay you get on the first they first they would do your height one woman would do height and she would say Blackburn step on the scale you know like military and in front of everybody Blackburn five foot four and somebody would write it down 
And then the, the woman writing it down would go down the chart and she'd say, can weigh 119 pounds. No, no, no. At that time it was, can weigh 120 pounds. Wow. And I was always 119. That's funny. And you know what I weigh now? 125. Well, it's just, you don't... I mean, what were they talking about? That is an insane weight to expect. You know what I'm saying? That was crazy. So there was an extent... You know, and also, like, we had to wear high heels all the time unless we were serving food. You know what I mean? We'd put on our serving garment and our flats, but, you know, through the terminal. And so there was... But that's absurd to have on high heels, on takeoff and landing when right. there's most likely going to be an incident and you're going to pop the F and slide. That's crazy. If you freaking, you know, jump down in your pumps. That's so funny. it was just uh, it was a different time. And I do think that the job is better suited to like the Southwest approach where it's, I mean, it seems like those flight attendants have a have a more carefree attitude. And, and I don't think they're unattractive, though, Steve. I don't. Well, you know what? Hey, we, we all have our, you know, you like them younger. This is what I'm getting. No, I yeah, don't. This is what I'm. No, thinking. I don't like them younger. I my, just, my girlfriend's only three years younger than how, me. Okay, you just put, you put a 55-year-old cap at your friends. That's what you did. No, well, no, no, don't. This isn't your show. This is my show, okay? Come on. Maybe, maybe, I'm um, so, maybe I don't, I don't like fat people, but I, I like old people. Hey, I, my mom's heavy. She's a nice heavy. She looks, she's older. She's heavy. Right. I just, I don't. You know, Craig, you Shug- Craig Shoemaker just posted on Facebook about how he saw in the airport, and Craig's a very funny man, and he and I agree with him. He saw at the airport there were seven people who boarded first in wheelchairs because they were fat. Now yeah. I'm legally blind in one eye. I don't say, oh, that's my handicap. I could probably get a handicap license, you know, because yeah. they might not give it to yeah. a guy blind in one eye. Yeah, but I don't sit there. I don't take advantage of it. You know what's interesting about those people and as a flight attendant it used to really piss me off is that all those people that come in on wheelchairs they never have to take them off exactly. because they want to get the fuck off the plane. They want on first and they want off first it's as well. Nuts. So, okay. Which is strange to me that anybody would ever want to rush on a plane to sit down in an assigned seat when Thank you, you could just hang in the goddamn boarding area. Thank you. I sit there legs. I sit there all the time cuz I've been I mean I this yeah. last year I've flown back east 20 times in the yeah. last year and oh, a half. Oh, that's a lot. Right. But that's a lot for a long, your girlfriend. Yeah, so but I mean it's but uh, once a month for the last 18 months. So wait a minute, wait, wait. So this was a long distance relationship for a year and a half. And you did all the traveling. No, she came out here when she, because she had four weeks vacation a year, so she would come out here. Oh, nice. But I would go back and I would book shows and stuff like that. And I would see friends because I wasn't back for a long time. But what I always cracked up is when you fly is when they say, we're boarding in groups, group A, group B, everyone rushes to the gate. And it's like, you guys, you, they're not going to let you on. I know. And there's, and there's always that, there's always that one I don't know Chinese couple who doesn't speak English <laughs> and they run up and they're trying to explain to them, no, you're in group F. This is I a, think you're a, racist. I'm Wait a racist. minute. So no. now we've got problems hey, with some. older people. No, okay. I my my roommate Chinese in college people. is Chinese, Bennett C. Lowe, and he's the, the one of the top restaurant designers in Toronto. Wow. And I Americanized that guy because we taught him all the curse words. We taught him about <laughs> Halloween. Oh, you must we, be very proud. He was, oh, he was great. He's the <laughs> nicest guy, and I still keep in touch with him. And I graduated college in '86. Wow. So I graduated college '87. See that? So there you go. That's so you really were smart. Funny. You must you must graduate early. I did. I was seventeen. I did. I started school early and I finished pretty early. Wow, yeah. that is early. Damn. I know. My you see that was another thing. I think being the sixth child, you can start playing the violin if you have one. Uh, being the sixth child though, like I didn't go to nursery school and I didn't go to kindergarten, and I turned five, and my mom just put me in first grade, and I would be so tired when I got home at three o'clock that I kid you not. Cue the violin. Yes. I would fall asleep on the doormat. As I walked in the door, I'd get into the kitchen. I'd fall asleep on the doormat. My mother would let me sleep in the kitchen on the floor like a dog. I don't know. Then they'd put me on the couch. And then by the time I woke up, I'd say, Mommy, 
what's for dinner? And she'd say, no, no, honey, there's no dinner. You have to go back to school. I didn't eat dinner for like two years because I was so tired. Yeah, but years later, you became a flight attendant because if you ate, you would have been over the weight scale and you got sent home. It all comes around. It all comes around. So okay. Have a good flight. So you, you get the cancer and then you decide, no, because I want to get to your acting. See, this is, you've heard much of this. You get the cancer and then you sit there and go, you know what? Okay, I get I'll, cancer and then I have to go through chemotherapy. Okay, now that And that's going to suck, right? So I have to do that though. I have to have, I have a kidney taken out then I have to go through like five months of chemo. It was like 20 rounds. And then when that was done, I wanted to go back to, I thought, they kind of strung me along. They never really told me. And I think this is true when you have a serious illness. You know, if maybe, well, I don't know, maybe for your heart, if this, ha- if this happened to you, but it was like, they kind of never told me the real, they never really told me, here's what's going down. But it up, but it up, but it up, but it up. You know, you're going to need a CAT scan every six months. You're going to need this chemo. You're going to need, they just kind of said, well, first we're just going to, we're going to take, take out your kidney. We'll just see how, we'll just see how it goes. And then all of a sudden, they said, go talk to this oncologist. And he says, okay, we'll start our chemo. And I'm like, what? So there was like this you confusion. You didn't get a pre-set. Okay. No, so, for, for I, me, for me, it was, they said, we're going to put you in medicine, and that's all we can do, and you have to change your diet. And then I would go to the cardiologist in the beginning once a month. Now when I just saw him, he's like, yeah, you'll come back in four and a half months. Okay. So I go back, but it's just, I stick to my you medicine. You do feel better, right? Oh, yeah. You know, it's so funny. And the eating health. I was, I, I was bad this last week because I, I was hanging out with some friends I haven't seen for a while. And every once in a while I do it. But when I, I eat very healthy. What, what, what are your downfalls? Like if you were out with your friends, you would get what that you usually wouldn't get? Well, no. If we, if we sit there, my one good friend, Joff, when we sit there and if we have a few cocktails, then we'll go, we'll go, yeah, okay, we'll get like Del Taco or something. I, uh-huh, I, I, uh-huh. And I, so I don't, I don't really eat fast food well, anymore. No. It's, that's yeah. my downfall. But I look at it, and I've noticed that when I do eat fast food, I feel like crap the next oh, day. Yeah. I that's mean, because so I, I eat a diet of mostly, you know, vegetables at dinner with fish or chicken. Right. And, you know, and I buy, I mean, I cook cool dishes, and then lunch, I just Well, that do stuff things. is also processed. I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not supposed it's to be so, really. It's bad. It's uh, like, but the other night, I kind of let go with some friends, and when I let go, I have these things called, and I kid you not, it's called uh, Fuck Yeah Fries. That's the name. That's the name on the menu. Menu, fuck yeah fries at the Hyperion Public in Silver Lake. Okay. Fuck yeah fries. And basically, it's fries with a whole lot of cheese. Okay. Yeah, I've seen them. I just, those stuff I keep, but now, because I, I want to, I don't, I love cheese, but you have to watch cheese. I'd say I have to watch my sodium. But the oh, sodium, I so see. So that's, <laughs> that's when you learn, and believe me, I have a whole theories about sodium. But I mean, just not theories, but just how. Is this going in your cookbook? Um, well, my cookbook is all, it's called Stop the Assault, and it has the- uh, That's so cute. With the, I, but you, and I think Ed Krasnick's been on your show. Yeah, I he love He gave Ed me Krasnick. the title. Oh, wow, he was on the good. show, yeah. It was, it's the, the A's crossed out and the U's crossed that's, out, so it's Stop the Salt. That's nice. Yeah, and that's I, really I'm right cute. now, I have 108 recipes. When I get to 125, then I'm going to write a, uh, a, which I have them, I just haven't written them. Um, I'm going to write a- humorous beginning I'll probably get my cardiologist sure. to do a forward oh that's wonderful and what then, a great idea yeah and so I think it's, and, it's, and uh, what are the topics what are the subjects it's uh, meat poultry there's no subject there's, there's it's most, it's no but the categories pasta okay so a but pasta. Not really, not really pasta pasta or quinoa like based uh, fish well actually main dishes lunch salads pasta okay and that's it and no dessert no, because I don't really uh, eat dessert. Let me, let me put a little bumper I, on. I don't want I got, dessert. I got cookie recipes. I don't that'll want, blow I don't, your I don't, mind. Yeah, but I don't know. It's because it's c- 
cooking for one, and it's basic cooking. The whole thing is. You're telling me you don't think somebody could eat a, a, a tube of chocolate chip cookie no, dough? No, I'm saying, but, but I wouldn't want tubes. I, that's no, the but thing. here's what you do. I have a chocolate chip cookie recipe that is five ingredients total. Okay. It's, I, I, and I'm going to try to name them now. I believe it's a flour, salt. No, no salt. Yeah, see, salt. That's Lots of, see that? I'm kidding. I'm telling you. See, okay, she's listen. trying to kill me. I'm she's kidding. giving me recipes. Flour, she's trying to kill listen, me. Flour, sugar, egg. Uh, flour, sugar, egg, chocolate chips. I mean, it's very basic. And the point is, is that then you take that dough and you put it, just a lump of dough on some wax paper or parchment paper. Then you kind of roll it in a tube and you roll it nice and tight. Put that in the freezer and just take it out when you want. You got yourself a treat yeah, right there. I know. Also with a little hint of danger because it's a raw egg. Yeah, but I just, you know what? I, I, I'm not a big dessert guy. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I'm going to. No, right, see, right. no, the whole thing about my book is, though, no, honestly, is because I hate when people go, oh, it's so hard to eat healthy and and cook and and it's like no that's my whole book is how easy it is i mean i'll make and they say it's so expensive i'll make dinner i'll go out and get what's on sale Mm -hmm. you know half a pound of fish half a pound of vegetables i'll eat dinner for three dollars and fifty cents and but can i tell you something one thing i find a little bit different from people here on the west coast than uh where i'm from in pittsburgh is we we tend to shop a lot i go to the grocery store four times a week like i i go frequently for what i want for dinner that night i'll just run by trader joe's or run by albertson's because there's a there at least where i live in la in the city there you know i can kind of run in and out of stores quickly and also i don't have a lot of room in my apartment because it's very small so so I, I don't have that Costco mentality where I store up foods and 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 seeds and whatever people right. are storing. I'm kind of cooking more fresh, and I think that that lends well, itself good. to being healthier. But that's what you're talking about. But see, what I do to is the store and picking up this and this. I shop. I make my menu for the week. So you I, make for a five menu. days. I, in my mind, I go, okay, I'm going to have fish and vegetables. What's on sale? I'm going to have fish for three nights or four nights and chicken one night. So where I go, do you shop? I shop. I get all my produce at Sprouts. Sprouts. Yeah. What is that store? It's uh, they used to be called Henry's. There's about twelve around here. They're in Arizona, California. It's right here in Burbank, and it has the best prices, and the produce is nice, and it's a clean store. And Ladies I, and gentlemen, this episode of Cooper Talk exactly. is brought to you by Sprouts. But then I go to Sprouts. Sprouts. And then I don't. I don't go to the Ralphs across the street because that's the ghetto Ralphs. I go oh. to the Ralphs over here, which is nicer. And I go to Ralphs. Interesting. And sometimes, I'll, if, if I'm going to make sandwiches during the week, I stop at Trader Joe's because they have low sodium salmon. Yes. They have low sodium tuna, and uh, they I get I like their sardines. They have a low sodium sardine. What, what What do you get a sardine in? Is that in a can? Yeah, or it's a can. A... It's like a weird, it's a square can. You pull. But what the top do you off. do with a sardine? I either have them on crackers or I put them on. Toast with a little bit of mustard and a t- t- tomato. And that's so New York. It's yeah. Well, it's my dad always ate sardines when we were Is kids. Right? Yeah, and I love them. And they're it's, so good for you. It's definitely a thing. You know what I mean? Like you either eat sardines or you do oh, yeah. not. My girlfriend's like, "What the hell?" I'm like, "No, because I don't think I could ever be turned to the sardine." You no, know what I mean? A lot of people aren't. A lot of people are anti-sardine. It's either part of you and what you, how you grew up, or it's it is not. And you have to sit there and look at the sodium because some sardines are very high in sodium. It's, that's that whole thing. Anything in disease. a can is very risky in terms but of that's sodium. That's why you read the sodium. I'm a sodium you guru. Know, it's like an assault, like it's, you said. I know, I, but I, I learned it's like the salmon and the tuna. They have low sight on salmon and tuna. Boom. So, well, I'm very excited about your cookbook. Uh, when I get it done, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to but it. We're going back to you. Oh, we should. Okay. Because I no, want to hear. So you decide you anyway, have the no, cancer. The point is, I couldn't. So I couldn't go back to the Peace Corps. They said you have to be cancer free at least five years. I always thought I'd go back to my country, and then they said no. You can't, you can't go back there. Okay. And then I, for some reason, thought, well, maybe I'll go back to the airliner. I'll try to. So I went and had a meeting with my supervisor. It had only been six months, seven months. Because I was only in the Peace Corps like three months because I got sick very right. quickly. 
Anyway, and I went to my supervisor, and they said, yeah, um, they listened to what I had to say or whatever, and then they wrote me a letter, and in the letter it said, you are, you are more than welcome to come back and apply to our airline again, but you cannot come back in where you were. And it's a seniority-based business, and I had even been employee of the month one time. It really pissed me off at the time. I was obviously much younger, but it really angered me that I was like, at one point, employee of the month, you know, 9,000 flight attendants, and then I go away to, you know, volunteer for the country and then come back because of an illness. And then they won't take me. I mean, I wasn't asking for insurance from them. It would have been, it was already covered from the, whatever. I mean, it all happened for a reason and that's good because I would have hated to go back. I think now I flew during the the good old years or, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know. Obviously nobody knew after 9-11 the whole the whole industry changed, right. and now it's no fun to fly oh, no, anymore. Not, sure. So I was flying back in like the good old days, and and uh, anyway, I'm just I'm happy, obviously, the way things turned out. But so I couldn't go back to the Peace Corps, I couldn't go back to the airline, and then I thought, well, what do I really want to do? I want to be an actress. Now, had you been to L.A. before? Uh, I had many times okay. because I was a flight attendant. But and I never... flew in here a lot. I dated a guy from here. I dated a guy in Los Feliz, so I knew that neighborhood, which is why I ended up moving there because I kind of already knew it. Okay. So and see, then I've been there for 16 years. You were destined. I was destined. And it all hap- happens for a reason, I think. And also then the, the idea of that, you know, I've done some stuff. I've done, you know... <laughs> some acting but really that's not where I'm ever going to have my competitive edge because there's so much talent as you know yeah, well, okay uh, I'm just saying yeah. so so for me a story worthy is like something I've built it's kind of like my baby because it's basically uh, you know hearing people's stories and the idea of the show is that we jump in at that topic so like Todd Glass uh, is on next week and his topic is pot cookies so i'm not interviewing todd glass long form interview he tells his story and then we just talk about pot cookies okay that's so cool it's, there's a little bit of a format going on and so it's fun well when you came out here though when you sat there did you know you wanted to be an actress and you but did you know how to get into it or i you had just no oblivious? idea man i so, had so no what did you idea do? it's just unbelievable it's unbelievable i I stayed at this hotel. It ends up right being down the street here on Olive. Uh, the, 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 f- the Frank's restaurant is right beside it. Frank's oh, right oh beside my it. God. Uh, there's the, a little motel. The mana, the, uh, no, the, uh, I know exactly. I okay. drive by it all the time. So I, it's got a green sign. Yeah, and, and I stayed okay. there, and it was so scary at night. <laughs> I would scary. I would move my dresser up to the door. I was so fucking that does, terrified. That does, that's like, a, that's like ghetto. no hair, and I was still weak from chemo. Like, I couldn't walk steps. I couldn't, I mean, I was really Isn't that hard? Time. That's like for me when I when I got it out of the hospital. Took a long time to I come was, back. Before I even back. got before I got diagnosed, I remember leaving a Phillies game and I couldn't probably make it to my girlfriend's car. Mm. I mean, I I that's why I ended up going to the doctor when I was at leaving Ralph's, and I could barely. I was like, I can't get to my car. Yeah. I had no. And I problem for me is I live on the second floor. Yeah, and my bedroom is upstairs, so I have oh, a two level. Goodness. So I have oh, to go up, goodness. up these little steps, up the steps, then up the steps, and I just would lay. Did you make your bedroom in the in the living room? No, I because I wanted I because I couldn't You're sleep. More comfortable upstairs. I, I couldn't sleep really, and my bed was more comfortable. So you have I would a just, bathroom upstairs. Yeah, oh, that's good. And I would I would lay in bed and just sit there, and I'd watch TV, and then I would feel like I fell asleep for a little bit. And you'd wake up, and you only slept for like forty-five minutes. Right. And I talked to my one comic, uh, Mike Ivy, my guest, a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, also has the same thing, and he went through the same thing. Wow. You 
don't you, and you have it's you this is when you learn between being tired and being exhausted tired means oh man i can get some more sleep exhausted means i can't get out of bed plus my ankles were because my body was retaining water right my ankles were like like swollen like i mean i'm a th- i have a thin frame yeah my yeah. ankles were like huge yeah and i was like what you, the hell's you, wrong you, you have no shoes you'd have to yeah, wear thongs I, I, or whatever i bought to wear a new shoe i bought new right. shoes these oh lace ups and i went maybe Healing i bought the wrong takes side. a long time you know people oh, yeah. i think um one of the reasons well I don't know. Anytime you're you're healing from an illness or going through chemotherapy, I know a lot of a lot of my friends have gone through. You know, there's this period where you just have to not not give into it, and I'm not saying not fight, but also just give yourself a break because it, you just have to heal. Oh yeah, just I, takes time. I was sitting there going, I can't be running around all the time. So no. that's why I got in a car and drove to Los Angeles. So that was drove. smart. But yeah, but see, but, <laughs> but that's but look what happened. I did have a friend. I did have a friend come with me, and he drove that's most of the way. But anyway, so then so then one of my first jobs in LA. Well, my very first job in LA is I was down on Hollywood Boulevard, and I was working for uh, Starline Tours. Uh, okay. I wasn't giving tours of the homes. I wasn't doing the the tours because you had to have a license to drive that bus. It was like a Class C license, and I didn't have that, or a Class B license, and I only had a Class C license in California. So I was just selling the tours like I had the microphone. Okay. This was in front of the Man's Chinese Theater, way before Hollywood and Highland. That whole mall wasn't there. I used that's my first place I lived. It was I lived right on uh, where there used to be a. Old school McDonald's in the corner of Sunset and Highland. Oh, right there by the In Out Burger. Yeah, and uh-huh. I lived on the street right behind. I had a right studio. by the high school. Yeah, I lived on Leland Street. Oh, great. And it, was uh-huh, like a little, uh-huh. it was a little studio. So I worked there in that little courtyard, and I would say, you know, welcome to Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. You know, come on out, and we'll take you to see, you know, Homeby Hills, Beverly Hills, Rodeo Drive. And then it always made me laugh because it was like, and you'll see the homes of people like Sammy Davis Jr., Frank Sinatra, and everybody was dead. <laughs> everybody was dead because every fucking star moved to Malibu, which we know. Anyway, now I think there's more people back in Beverly Hills. But at that time, in the late 90s, uh, it was all dead stars. Uh, anyway, so I did that <laughs> I did that for about six months. Were you, uh, now, were you going out to audition or trying to get into the no, Well, no, because just... I had no hair. Okay, yeah. Okay. I had no hair, which is what got me into... St- well, I had been doing stand-up in Pittsburgh. I started doing stand-up in like 92. With the Schneider brothers? Yes, at, at the Funny Bone. High five, Jeff Steve. Schneider. Jeff Schneider, right on. That's awesome. You know him. Well, I guess everybody, I don't really know him, but I, I but know But everybody the name. in comedy knew We just became friends on Facebook because a lot of people I know knew him. Oh, so. I'd like to be... I should do that. You should. Uh, anyway, so... Um, so you've done stand-up there. Yeah, so I, so, so I started doing stand-up out here in LA. A lot of stand-up. Because, you know, you just hit any coffee shop you can. Doing a lot of stand-up doesn't mean you're doing it in front of anybody, per se. Right. You're just doing a lot of stand-up, and you're getting up. So I would get up every night, you know, at least once, um, you know, somewhere. And I did that for a couple of years, like, pretty much every night. Uh, very, maybe one or two time, two nights a month I would take off. I mean, I was just, because I didn't have any hair. I couldn't get headshots, and I couldn't get any pictures taken. I couldn't get an agent. I didn't have any hair. Right. I mean, I was, it was, I was on a, I was on a, there was a Phoenix, a Phoenix process happening Steve, I was on the upswing, which was right. good. Well, that's but good. But you didn't have anyway, any hair. Right. See, so, it works for so me. doesn't work for you. Six months Starline Tours, then six months at Paramount. I did six months at Paramount working as a page. And I would do shows like Frasier, Darman, Greg, um, Newhart. Bob Newhart had a show then. It wasn't, it wasn't the Bob Newhart show or Newhart. It was another show. I don't know. Jenny McCarthy had her show on the lot. Um, uh, uh, Arsenio Hall had his show on the lot. Um, anyway, Lisa Gibbons, 
hard copy, all these names, and I would give tours, two-hour tours of the lot, and then I would also, you know, be a page on these shows where you wear the zoot, you know, the the polyester suit. Right. So I'm back. I got a I got a flight attendant uniform. Now I'm in this uniform. You're the queen of the I got uniforms. The Starline uniform going on. Right. I did that for six. Must months. be fun for Halloween for you because you always have something to wear. I do right, and then the coup de, the coup d'état. My next job, teaching traffic school. Oh God! No. And I did that for two years. Did you do that? No, I, I, a lot did, of people have done that. Did you do it through the uh, improv? Improv, or the, yeah, okay. improv traffic school. A lot of comics have done that. Just in terms of you know, it was it was a way to do material, and so I would you know, you guys want to talk about red lights or you want to talk about my one woman show? Let's go, you know. And I had like a, a cassette player and I would cue music, and I would pass out little little sheets for people to check off what they liked. What was your one woman show about? It's called the Big Picture. Is yeah, it was called the Wow. Good, good. You 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 read. Researched. I have your email right Good here. Good on you, man. I see. I, I do research. But Good on you. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, I did a show, you know, because when you have cancer, you're pretty much, you have to sign off. It's part of chemotherapy that you're going to do a one-woman show. That's part of the deal. I'm doing. A, I'm still working on a one-man show about my heart. Of course so you are. You, you have to. That's part of an illness. Part of, part of the therapeutic process is right, for, for, for maybe creative types is to right. act it out because... I, well, I wrote it too. Well, anyway, the point is, um, yeah. Then I taught traffic school, and then uh, I started booking some commercials. Yeah, you and, said you know, you've done. You said you've done like sixty national commercials. I know a lot of now, commercials. Now, what are some of the commercials you did? Do you remember the first one you got? Oh my gosh, the first one was for this. Um, was for a phone. It was for a Japanese phone, and gosh, it's so funny now because it because it, now like I look at the iPhone, and then this thing, it was like it was a full keyboard, and it was really large, and they had this concept that you know you would do like a video chat, and I remember thinking like this is never gonna so happen. This is never gonna work. You know, fast forward. Uh, anyway, so just over the years, just um, I got kind of sh- pigeonholed in a young mom look. Like what are some of your commercials? So, okay, though? so like uh, like maybe Angel Soft, um, Angel Soft toilet paper, uh, Nabisco crackers. Um, so you got a lot. Kia. Oh yeah. Um, GoDaddy. Um, did you enjoy doing Cialis? I did a Cialis spot. What's up? Did you enjoy doing the commercials? Oh sure. I mean, oh sure. Because some I, people don't like. They go, oh, I don't want to do the commercial, but then they pay good. And oh it's, no, I, work. I always enjoy. Work. I love to work. Okay. I love to work because I. It's. I've done so much now. It's one thing I feel like I can actually do. I do well, and I have a. I'm finding finding my voice, as it were. I remember taking classes from Mark Lano when I first moved here. Yes, you know? Cooper Talk guest. Right. Oh, great. Yeah, I'd like to get him on Storyworthy. It's great. Uh, guy. Mark Lano. Yeah, and he knows both um, Hannes and I. Uh, anyway, so Mark Lano, you know, saying it takes about seven to twelve years to find your voice out here, and that's about right. Takes a long time. Well, so okay, so you did the commercials. Now, what brought you? What brought you? Revolved you into? I know you've done different acting. You said you hosted Ready for the Weekend on USA. Right, Ready for the Weekend was a great, great thing. It was kind of like a dinner and a movie with Annabelle Gerwitch and Jeff Paul, Con- and um, Paul Paul Gilmartin. He has Martin a great, he has great uh, yes. podcast. Yes, I know he does. I he was on my show, and he got me Jen Kirkman to do my show. Oh yeah, he's great, just a nice great. guy, awesome, a real nice guy. Yeah, good. I'd love to. I'd love, love to uh, meet with him. Uh, anyway, so that show was fun. Though we would go around the country, and we did about uh, 70 shows before it got canceled and it was a lot of fun we had, we had a great time um, 
And then I've done some independent movies. So, and, and I've taken a lot of acting classes and stuff like that. Not a lot, not over the top. And I've never gotten into the acting school of thought where, you know, they have to make you cry and beat you down before you, you know. I've never gotten into that kind of acting. I've always done more of a practical cold reading classes and stuff like that with, with um, Brian Reese. Do you know Brian Reese? No. He's, a, he's an amazing acting coach. Never taken an acting class. Never taken a voice class. Okay, yeah. No. So I kind of, I hit it with that end first. And then I started getting into doing the moth around town, you know, storytelling. And I would go up at what the moth the all moth? the time. What is the moth? The moth is, uh, it's a storytelling show that that began in 1997 in New York City. Uh, George Dawes Green started it. He lives in Savannah now. And uh, anyway, it's basically the idea of the moth is that there's a theme of the night and everybody must adhere to that theme. Do you know the theme before you go? Yes, you do. Okay. The theme could be something like um, lost or I don't know, whatever. And it's vague, though. I do want to say their, their themes are more vague, you know, like, um, you know, their themes are more vague. It's not real specific stories. So you could pretty much turn it around any way you want. You know okay. what I mean? Uh, anyway, the five-minute stories and you put your name in a hat and perhaps your name will be drawn and then you'll come up and tell your story with no notes. And it's very strictly timed, five minutes. And then you hear a sound, and if you go over, you know, so there's sets of judges in the audience. The uh, the judges are random. They're just picked that night by the producers. The producers may walk up to your table and say, would you like to be judges tonight? And they say, yes, we would. And they say, okay, come up with a team name. And you say, okay, we're the Blasters. Okay, what's your score, Blasters? And then they say 8.6, and they hold up numbers. And then they take all three sets of judges' numbers, and then there's a board on the stage. And so it's a competition. Okay. It's a storytelling competition, five minute long, uh, true stories, no notes. The idea of the moth is that it's the every man who can do it. So it's the mailman, it's the parking meter guy, it's the guy that works at Trader Joe's. Uh, so that's, that's the concept behind it is that it's, you know, everyone has a story. No matter who you are, okay, which is true. Story worthy, I've kind of switched it around a little bit in that I, I try uh, more to pull from entertainers and people I know can tell a good story, and that that they have a following, of course. Well, how does story worthy happen? How do you happen about that? And you, with your co-host, okay, how, so how that because you're doing the moth, so you're you're right. getting into the story, and I'm you're getting into stories, it's something and then you I'm enjoy. Listening to Adam Carolla, okay, and he was a big influence for me because I was really, and I still like Adam a lot. And uh, so I started thinking, wait a minute, I could do a podcast, I could do this. So we started in July of 2010. I thought of it in March of 2010. I remember specifically, I was up in Big Bear and I remember specifically saying, I'm gonna do this. And then we started off, because before you launch a podcast, as you know, you kind of have to have, you know, you got to have some shows, you got to have an idea, you got to have it mapped out. If you just think you're going to start and plow through, you're going to wear yourself out right. in about eight or ten shows. See, for me, I got lucky because at the time when I started, I was only given an hour mm. and I had to play about half, but I had to play independent music because this is the focus of this unsigned bands. But then they noticed that after three months the slot I was in the rating people listeners went from about 4,000 to 9,000 right and then they said we're gonna give you another hour and then I said I just want to talk I don't want to play That's music terrific. and they said okay and then that now I mean my peak my biggest listenership is of two Fridays ago, I did forty-two thousand. That's horrific. Which, That's just but, great. but it's just from doing it and the thing I had it because thank God I had the music in the beginning though because yeah. I'd never been on radio. I mean, I've talked to people, but you know, and as you know, interviewing's not easy. And just talking, and you have to, and the thing is, you have to bring it to a certain level. You have to have good content. 
And that's I'm what very want. curious, though. You know, I'm very curious, and so I, I really enjoy interviewing people because I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm. So, so with Storyworthy, the guest brings the topic, so we're not pigeonholing them into what they need to talk about. So, and they're bringing a story, a true story. So most often, what the story they're bringing is going to be a damn good story because yep. they're bringing one story. It's one topic. So, like I said, Todd Glass might come in with pot cookies. Then that's it. That's what we're talking about. Now, how did you find your co-host? Well, Hannah Finney and I have been <laughs> incredibly good friends he's like the second person i met in la okay in front of the ice house trying to get a you know in dave mcnary's show that sunday night show he does at the annex and i met hannah standing in line and we became really good friends like right away and so i knew i needed i wanted a co-host hannah is a comedian and he plays well off me because he's deadpan he's serious he's not angry he's like crotchety right and he's very quick-witted. He's very, very funny. And also, he gets me. Like, he and I are such good friends. Like, if I have any problems at all, I can call him. To, you know, spew out what, what I feel, you know, what the issue is. And he will spew back in two, or just tell me back in two sentences. You know, da 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 That's it. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I didn't know that. You're See, so right. Like, he can just quickly get through bullshit. So I thought, if he's my co-host, then we'll, the show should move along. And he's, you know, I'm more the curious person when we're doing the show. He's always on a laptop kind of listening, but kind of on a computer doing his thing. So we compliment one another, I think. So you guys have this idea to do it, and you came up the idea. I have the idea, okay. and I asked Connice if he wants to join okay. me. And then now where do you go? I'm the creator. <laughs> I mean, how do, you get it, how do you get it up and running? Uh, okay, so I put an ad on Craigslist for a sound guy. And Jorge Reyes, who is so good, I can't even tell you how great he is. And I'm still, I'm still with Jorge. Um, and now he does like eight or nine shows. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, but I, he responds. Jorge Reyes responded, and he came over and he brought three microphones, and we set them on a table. And my husband at the time is also in the in the business, and so he knows a lot about things. And he, you know, helped me kind of get going. He really helped me get going. Was very supportive. You know, but it wasn't, you know, the first 20 shows, you know, the stories are good. I'm fortunate to have the stories. But, like, the banter between Hannes and I, you know, I was very trepidatious. And, you know, you have to find your voice. But you had a guest. You had guests the first shows. It was course, just yeah, the beginning. Yeah, there's always was just, been a guest. Who yeah, was your Sharon first guest? Sharon Houston was my first guest. Who? Sh- Sharon Houston, that comedian. Sounds, okay. Sharon Houston, she's very popular. She has a podcast called, um, called, um, Day, Day, Day. Day, day court. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Daytime, day, daytime justice. Thank you, daytime justice, because she's been working in the in the court world, you know, like Judge Judy and Joe Brown, and she's worked with all those people for years as a producer and story storyline producer. So therefore, she's got incredible stories from people who try to get on those shows, and okay. you can imagine that lot of folks. Uh, anyway, so Sharon Houston was not only our first guest, she was also my 100th guest on the show. And I wanted her to do the 150, but she couldn't. But 200, our 200th episode is coming up, and I think I'll ask her. So when you sat there in the beginning, how would you approach your guests? Like for me, I would say I have a inter, I would say internet radio show or podcast. No, it's an internet radio show. I, it doesn't. I was iTunes, I was grabbing everybody from the Moth. Okay. I was really into the Moth at the time, and so I would grab people from there. Like uh, Madison Perry um, was one of the first people. Then um, Hannes had uh, his buddy Evan Gore. Uh, I had my friend Penelope, uh, I mean, yeah, Penelope Lombard and Chris Magaha. And, of course, I've been doing comedy. I did, I've did. i done right. stand-up in L.A., you know. I mean, I did 
I did it for about three years out here, four years. Found out wasn't funny, Steve. That's the problem there. So I stopped. Okay. Uh, no, I stopped doing comedy more, more, more because of the hanging out in the clubs yes. late at night. It's just not a lovely world. That's is like what it yeah. Is that's not. like guys say to me, "Oh man, I want to go on the road." I said, "Dude, I was on the road from '88 to '95," and I said, "You know what? The road is not for an older people. Yeah. The road is it's, it's a, a young man's tough, game. It's a it's on a lonely the money, yeah. depends on how often." And all the money went course. down from back in the day. The money sucks yeah. now, so it's not worth it unless yeah. you're a headliner, a national headliner. You, then you get paid and right. merchandise and all that stuff. So it, it it's different, and it depends on case by case basis, I suppose. So when you you and Hannes, you go in and just and so they so come. I they came had, the so idea. I had it. I believe me, like my husband at the time, you know, helped me kind of come up with a format and work this thing out. I did not just start podcasting and throwing them out there. I made sure I had graphics. I came up with the idea in March and didn't put anything up until July. Okay, you know what I mean. I made sure I had graphics. I knew graphics are incredibly important, so I got that ready. And that's not just like one logo. That might be four logos in different sizes and different ideas and you've got you know there's a little bit of a I was trying I'm tr- I knew all along I wanted to do a long term thing this right. wasn't going to be I'm just going to see what happens I knew there was going to be a period there's going to be a learning curve I'm starting at zero and I have to take my time you're starting at zero listeners you have no listeners right so soon you know it's like learning the piano or the guitar you start at zero then you must build <laughs> and if you build it Steve as I understand they will come. Oh yeah, it's true. I mean, I think I, I don't know how long. I think I've been doing this show for three years. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Sure. Yeah, two thousand ten. I think it was because I remember I got the call. Uh, my brother's wife had passed away. Oh, and I was in Manhattan, and I was in the cab going to the Upper West Side to the service. And the guy who ran the station I met through when I worked in the business world um, with restaurant marketing. I met him mm-hmm. through a chamber of commerce thing, and he called and he goes, "You want to do the show?" And that's when I said, "Ah!" And then I came back, and I really. Didn't Good know, for you. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I mean, it's like you sit there and you go, well, "What do you guys talk?" People go, "What do you guys talk about?" I said, "We just talk." I said, "You know, I don't, I don't want, I want just people to come in and talk." And I think that's more. I've always I, been a big fan of uh, talk radio. Have you have you liked talk radio in yeah. your life? And I was I and I my one of my talk radio idols, Phil Hendry, was on. Oh yeah, I've had him on too. He's so love great. And I remember yeah. I remember hearing him when I was married. My we had a place in San Diego, and I used to come up here to try to get stuff going. So I drive down yeah. on Thursday so nights and I didn't know at first I thought who is this who are these guests they're crazy and then I mean, I would have drive laughing out loud how long at, did it take you to figure it out about uh, three episodes okay, okay. because That's I was, I, I was, like, I was like these guys but then I was thinking but then I thought maybe it was just well, I, I thought maybe it wasn't him yeah. I thought it was just a setup thing yeah. which was amazing Phil Hendry is such a talent that it's just he's hard to describe and he's done Story Worthy twice and I just like him so much as a person as well and he's so fucking smart Man, oh, yeah, he can talk about anything. I mean, he is just beyond his characters and his, you know, masterful wit and c- the characters he does and going back and forth. If you're just talking to him as Phil, he could talk politics. Oh yeah, he's great. He can talk. You know, he he knows everybody. It's very interesting. He's a great guy. We have about a minute and a half left. And a minute and a half left. Well, Storyworthy is a great show. Stay on here. Tell tell tell, tell people that's what, it. Storyworthypodcast.com, and you know we're available like you are. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. We're also with Sideshow Network, which is a lot of fun, and those guys have helped us out a lot. Um, and the show's getting more and more popular, so it's great. We have got Todd Glass coming up, and. Um, 
Kira Sultanovich. Um, she's been on. She's great. Yeah. Oh, and Jim Cren, who has a, a podcast called No Restrictions out of Pittsburgh. And he recently was out here in L.A., so I got him to do my show. See, that's uh, cool. It's always good when you get people. And like Frank Nicotero and Mark Eddy and all those guys, those Pittsburgh guys. Kevin Popovic, another Pittsburgh guy. It's it's Fun. cool It's cool when you get them, the people, like, because Todd was from Pittsburgh. I mean, from Philly. Philly. And then Paul F. Tompkins was one of my first guests. He's from Philly. Oh, terrific. And then I was supposed to have on, unfortunately, he got too busy which he should because uh, I was talking to his assistant Adam McKay mm. but I mean but of course he directs everything yeah. and, he, and he sent me a message back because the only reason I'll do your show is because when we did stand up you were always nice and you would take That's me to so gigs cool. but he's never been on and I understand because the guy only runs half of Hollywood you well know, you know all, but, but the, you're but, here in Burbank you're essentially located right. he might just swing by you, you never, never know. know and also you can go to him you know I see that's one thing I don't know how to do I've been so, trying to get to, uh, Tom Driesen and uh, you know Tom's been on my show he's wonderful yeah I love Tom Driesen and I've wonderful. been wanting him but he keeps saying can you come to me and I think I'm going to try to just make it happen do somehow it. He's great. Best know, stories. Right? Best stories ever. I you want to hear stories? His story Sinatra. Anyway. Anyway, give the people your all your info. Okay, storyworthypodcast.com and then on Twitter, follow me at Storyworthy. At story, so I do enjoy the tweeting. Do you tweet a lot? Not a lot, but I enjoy it. Tweet more. Maybe five, six times a day. Oh, that's a lot. No, it isn't. Well, I, I, people that tweet a lot, dude, they 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 put stuff in their Twitter feed. They got like fifty messages ready to go. They queue it up. See, I just I tweet up when it comes to me. I, I was yeah. I said eighties concert this week and I was tweeting a lot from there. Oh, that's cool. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming on. Thank you. Steve, a pleasure. It's great. And people, follow me about Twitter. Follow me at Cooper Talk, at Cooper Talk on Twitter. Go to Facebook, uh, my fan page, Cooper Talk. Just check it out because you can listen to any episode. Just click on the photo of the guest. It will link you right to my website, which my website is coopertalk.net. Also, iTunes. Search one word, Cooper Talk, as in Stitcher Radio also. And go to www.coopertalk.net, and I have all the episodes up. And please email me, cooper at indie100.com. Yeah, and that's about it, people. Uh, also, check out WSDIChicago.com. It's a great station. They play me on Wednesday nights. I'm going to thank my guest, Christine Blackburn. I'm Steve Cooper. Remember, drink your water, take your vitamins, and eat your veggies. I'm only as my guests. Have a good weekend.